الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم سوره الغافر سوره المؤمن سوره نمبر 40 ايه نمبر 52 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يوم لا ينفع الظالمين معذرتهم ولهم اللعنة ولهم سوء الدار This ayah is a continuation of the previous ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that he indeed helps his messengers and those who believe in this world and also in the world hereafter helping them on the day when the witnesses will stand and testify to the success and triumph of Allah's messengers and their followers so on that day Allah says that the oppressors those who are wrongdoers their excuse will not benefit them okay so they will not have a plea or a bargain that they can uh, throw at the angels or uh, negotiate with Allah um, that they will be defenseless in this world you may have a good defense and you may get away with whatever you get away with on the day of judgment uh, there is no defense and therefore the only way to make sure that that doesn't happen is to say that you believe in Allah and the rasul and uh, everything else that comes along with those two walahum al-la'na and they will have la'na they will have uh, what do you call it mm, uh, expulsion and uh, they will be uh, cast away very far away lana is when you are cast away from allah's rahma so allah and the rasul and islam bring people to allah's rahma and kufr and zulm injustice and disbelief repels people from allah's rahma that is called la'na a removal of a person from allah's rahma so that is due to their own actions and to their own disbeliefs walahum su'dar and for them alone there is the evil abode su'dar su means evil dar means abode so there is an abode which is good and there is an abode which is evil and unfortunately they will have to live there and stay there uh, eternally and permanently allah save us all from that but this is all based on their zulm based on their injustice based on their wrong doing and everything else wa laqad atina musa al-huda wa urathna bani israil al-kitab hudan wa dhikra li ulil albab 
See Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going back to the story of Musa alayhi salam is saying that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Musa hidayah and guidance and uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the book um, revelation and so on. This was after they escaped from the uh, the wrath of Fir'aun and they were delivered uh, across the Red Sea and they came towards Allah's Rahmah and Musa salam was given the Torah in the desert and this is how they are uh, what do you call it rewarded for their patience uh, yeah. so Allah gave Musa indeed we gave Musa the Hidayah the guidance in the form of the Torah and also in the form of other revelation and we also allowed the Banu Israel to inherit the revelation, the book, and so on. Kitab, in general, refers to revelation, not just the written book. Anyway, so this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the favor that after Allah protected Musa salam from Fir'aun and protect his people from Fir'aun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them the reward of hidayah and guidance, how to live their lives in accordance, in accordance to Allah's will, Allah's word. Awrathna, that we allow them to inherit from Musa alayhi salam guidance and everything else. In this there was a hidayah. There was guidance in this kitab and in this revelation. And it was also, there was, there was a reminder uh, for those who have understanding. Ulul al-bab, those who have understanding uh, higher than the ordinary perception of an ordinary human being. So there are two levels here. One level is Huda, which is guidance in general at the salvational level, or salvific level. And the other is that at the intellectual level. So there are two levels here. One is Huda, and the other is Dhikra. The Qur'an is seen as a Dhikr, as mentioned in various places in the Qur'an. فَسَلُوا أَهْلَ dhikri Ask the people of Dhikr. If you don't know, so the people of dhikr, meaning the people of Quran, they know. So dhikr refers to a higher level of understanding, whereas hudan is a salvational understanding uh, of Islam and so on. So the Quran acknowledges that there are disparate levels of understanding and disparate levels of learning and knowing and uh, so on. So this was given to the people of Musa salam, the Banu Israel, and Allah says, this is a favor I gave them, and you must acknowledge that favor, O Muhammad wasallam, as you are now also going to be involved with the community later on in Medina with these same people. So this is a prelude to the Prophet's meeting the Banu Israel in Medina, that you must not assume that they didn't have guidance. They did have guidance. And you must not assume that they did not have people who understood the guidance. They did. 
have people who understood the guidance. Fasbir inna wa'adullahi haq wa staghfir li dhambika wa sabih bihamdi rabbika bil'ashi wal-ibkar. Here there's another ayah which talks about the moral disposition of the Prophet ﷺ, that when you are going forward in your mission to uh, promote Allah's word and prophethood <coughs> and Islam and everything else, then you must be patient. Hmm. Yeah. Allah wants the prophets to be patient. That is a requirement for prophethood. Uh, they have to be donned uh, with the garb of patience. If they are not patient, and if they don't have sabr, then they cannot do the work. Which also means that there will be resistance, and there will be denial, and there will be refusal, and there will be rejection. That's what this means. Hmm. That you will refuse, and you will deny, and uh, you will be denied, and you will be rejected by people. And that's why Allah is uh, giving the Prophet ﷺ a prelude uh, that you must understand that part of your mission is to deliver the word against uh, and in the face of rejection. Don't assume that people will open up their arms and embrace you because you have Islam and you have Quran, you have Wahi and you have Noor. That's not how human beings work. Human beings, they usually hate each other at the best of times. Oh, as the Quran says, that you must now descend from Jannah, enemies to each other. Oh, at the best of times, human beings, they hate anyone else who has authority over them. Uh, now this is the worst of times when you're talking about religion and talk about refereeing your life, and you say, this, do this, and don't do this, and you know, commandments, and orders, rules, and regulations, and restrictions, and uh, all of that governance. Uh, nobody wants to hear that. Hmm. Uh, so, again, for the Muslim worker of today, uh, they cannot assume that since they're doing the work of deen, that they will not be rejected. Rejection is part of uh, plowing the land. Yeah. You have land, the land, if the land is arable, you'll have to plow it and you'll have to toil it and you'll have to get your horses and your cows and your oxen onto the land and that is driven only by sabr, only by patience. Yeah, so if you're seeking glory through Islam, then <laughs> yeah, you should not be there. Islam doesn't come with glory. The promotion of Islam comes with a lot of dedication and sabr. Inna wa'adullahi haq. Indeed, the promise of Allah is truth and it is truthful. Meaning your reward is there with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So either in this world you'll get some fatah and nusrah or if not, then in the other world Allah will help you and Allah will give you jannah and give you salvation. So Allah's promise is always the truth. And so obviously this refers to the Prophet ﷺ's victory initially at Badr later on, a few years after this ayah was revealed. But it also can be generalized to help Muslims understand 
that Allah's promise to the Prophet ﷺ was uh, now um, fulfilled after the Fath Makkah, the conquest of Makkah, and so on. And the uh, instruction there in this ayah is exactly the same instruction in Surah Al-Nasr. وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِذَنْبِكْ Seek Allah's forgiveness for your mistakes and your sin, and so on. وَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكْ And then make the tasbih of the praise of your Lord. إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسِ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ فَوَاجَةِ فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْهُ The same instructions that came later on in Medina, after the Fath Makkah, uh, the same instructions came before that Fath to the Prophet ﷺ that if you want Allah's promise to be true to you, you must seek Allah's forgiveness for your sin. We as uh, Sunni Muslims don't believe the Prophet ﷺ committed any sin. Uh, that is our aqidah. But this is now revealed to the Prophet ﷺ. So in his mind, whatever the sin was, so this is an address to the Prophet, not to us. Okay, so we are not going to argue and sit and judge the Prophet. Allah says, seek forgiveness from your sin. So that's not for us to judge. Was this a sin? Was this a sin? This is an address to the Prophet ﷺ exclusively. That seek forgiveness uh, for your sin. Yeah. So whatever is a sin in your mind, seek forgiveness from it. Yeah. Does it mean that the mistake he made was a sin? No. It doesn't mean that. Meaning in your mind, you must uh, calculate and make muhasaba and then understand, okay, maybe I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't have done that. But that is not a sin for us. Meaning from our point of view, it's not a sin. From his perspective, very subjective, it could be a sin. Uh, so now, this issue of tawbah is very subjective. Yeah. So we cannot go into the discussion of whether the prophets are masum or infallible from here because this is an exclusive uh, exclusive uh, command to the Prophet ﷺ where the ummah is not part of it. Uh, meaning in your mind. So in the Prophet's mind, maybe he shouldn't have said this, maybe he didn't do this or he didn't do that. That is totally subjective to him and to his life and his uh, whatever behavior with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is totally relative to him. Uh, it does not mean that we can then gauge an objective standard and say that, oh, yeah, he committed this sin. Therefore, Allah said, forgive, ask Allah to forgive you for your sin. We can't do that because we don't know. Uh, the, the prophets don't commit sin from our perspective. Mm. Yeah. So that's that subjective. So tawbah is very subjective. So that's why you have to be honest and sincere to yourself, within yourself, and assume that you are sinning, even though you may not be. Even if you're not sinning, you say, Allah, forgive me. That is the height of adab in front of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, anyway, uh, more of that later on sometime, inshallah. وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِذَنْبِكْ And then make tasbih of the praise of your Lord. Uh, so what is praising your Lord? You say, alhamdulillah. 
Tasbih of your Lord is to say Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. That is the formula we find in Hadith. And this is what this means. Making Tasbih of Allah's praise is to use the formula we find in Hadith. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanallah al-Azim. This is what this ayah is referring to. This, These two will bring down Allah's Rahmah, Allah's Madad, Allah's Nusrah, and Allah's Fatah, and so on. So the institution by which we draw from divine assistance is Dhikr and Tawbah. Dhikr and Tawbah, and then on top of that, Sabr. These are creative forces in the cosmos, in the universe. In the universe, there are forces that have to be reckoned with. The sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the whatever, the the galaxies and the Milky Ways, whatever energy there is, the black holes and God knows what, light and whatever. You astronomers and physicists have ascertained and determined for you to know Nowadays, but beyond that, there's another nidham system that is uh, one of power. Uh, and that one is based on ibadah. So ibadah has a power of its own. Uh, and Muslims have access to ibadah, which they never use to bring down Allah's madad. Uh, they, they must use that. So since prophets, salam represent Allah, uh, they are instructed only to seek madad and help from the spiritual means. Okay. Spiritual means, and those spiritual means will then govern whatever happens in their lives, and then they will be given physical means of help also. So without patience, without istighfar, without tasbih of Allah's hamd, the Prophet wasallam would not have gathered the Sahaba at the Bayat al-Ukhba in Mecca, not once but twice, and maybe the Hijrah would not have happened because you need the spiritual energy to take the Ummah forward. So that spiritual energy only comes from Ibadah. There's no other way. It's not through negotiation. The result on the ground for the Nabi is from these uh, faculties, faculties of ibadah. Ya ayyuhal muzzammil qumil layl. When you are seeing how Allah instructs the Prophet ﷺ early on in the first one or two revelations, and that is all the spiritual madad that the Prophet ﷺ is now gathering. Reciting the Qur'an in Salat, in Tahajjud, in Nawafil, is a means of procuring Allah's uh, help and Allah's assistance, which I said, as I said, Muslims have totally abandoned and uh, deserted and forgotten. Conveniently, they go and knock on the White House. They don't go and knock on the house of Allah and make sajda. Whereas the White House will disappoint you every time. And the house of Allah will never disappoint you. That's the formula. وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِذَنْبِكْ So Allah says, He doesn't say go and negotiate with people. فَاسْبِرْ He says, فَاسْبِرْ If people reject you, uh, be patient. 
He doesn't say, go negotiate this way and this way. There is a political arena here for the Nabi. The only arena is the spiritual arena. So in the spiritual arena, you must elevate yourself. Where you don't rely on Allah's creation, you only rely on Allah himself, who is the Khaliq, who is the Malik, and who is the Razzaq, and so on. So how do you appeal to him? This way. You, first of all, apologize for all the uh, sins, mistakes, and everything else that you have committed. And then you praise him, and you make tasbih of his praise. And that is how Allah will come to your rescue. Allah will come to your assistance, and so on. This was the formula the Prophet ﷺ used. And it was because of this formula that he was able to eventually procure the the madad of people. Because the madad of the people on the ground is a huge madad, is a huge assistance. Allah says later on in Medina, he is the one who helped you uh, with his help and then also with the help of the believers. So you need the believers with you on the ground in order for you to succeed and to do things. But that, the second stage of uh, Allah's help only comes on the back of the first stage. If you do not do the first stage, the second stage will not come. So that, that's how you must see how the Prophet negotiates these all these spiritual dimensions of Nabuwa and Dawah and so on. So, so if you have this, if you are da'i towards Allah, then you must do tahajjud. You must make istighfar. You must do salawat ala nabi. You must read the Quran. Uh, you must do nawafil. Uh, you must do all of this and be kind to people and be kind to everybody else in your life. Be patient and so on. You can't give da'wah and be angry all the time. Uh, yeah. So in order for you to give da'wah, means that you're calling people towards you. And if you're not comfortable with God being God, then why are you calling people towards you? You're not secure in yourself that Allah is my Lord, so why are you telling other people worship Allah when you don't worship Allah? Makes no sense. You can only call people towards something you have. There's a salesman who says, come and buy a car from me. And people come to him and they say, there's no car there. <laughs> right? So Muslims calling people to Islam and then non-Muslims come and they see no Islam there. They're not going to come. Then you'll be downtrodden. You'll be rejected. Where's the Islam in you? They're not talking about the Islam in clothing and in dress and in architecture and food and all of that, which we excelled in also. That's a different issue. I mean, the Islam in you. That which part of Islam is in you, I want to see that. <laughs> So this is how the, the dynamics of a spiritual reform and prophetic reform are based on ibadah and nothing else. Bil'ashi wa bikar in the evening and also in the morning, meaning the times when the angels change shifts in the evening and also in the morning. That's the time when you implore and bring down Allah's rahmah. Allah's madad, these are the times when the doors of the heavens are opened up, and this is the time when you should uh, exclusively spend in uh, the dhikr of Allah and his tasbih. And so, so you need a regimen, you need a culture in which uh, people do this as a lifestyle. 
not something that is ad hoc or something that is temporary or something. Anyway, so this was to engage the Prophet ﷺ with Allah himself, that you must be in sync with Allah, and the only way you're going to do that is by being a good person, a patient person, and someone who is always making the dhikr of Allah, and so on. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings us to another issue, which is related to the Fir'aun and whatever was discussed previously about Fir'aun and his jidal, his mujadala, his arguing and his uh, trying to destroy Musa alayhi salam and his mission and so on. So Allah says to the Muslim ummah in general, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُجَادِلُونَ فِي عَيَادِ اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ سُلْطَانَتَاهُمْ إِنْ فِي صُدُورِهِمْ إِلَّا كِبْرٌ مَا هُمْ بِبَالِغِيهِ فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ إِنَّهُ هُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ Those people who argue against Allah about the signs of Allah, in their hearts, in their chest, there is nothing except uh, arrogance and pride that which they will never attain. So Muhammad you must seek refuge in Allah uh, because indeed he, he is the one who hears and he is the one who sees. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning an ethical platform from which the Prophet and Muslims must understand and appreciate that the idea of debating with a non-Muslim or someone who is rejecting Islam Primary Islam is not based on evidence. Uh, it is all emotional because the person arguing in front of you, he is not necessarily looking for the truth. Okay. If they were looking for the truth, they would see the truth very clearly, clearly in plain sight. But since they have harbored arrogance and pride in them, assuming that they're more intelligent than wahi, and revelation, they're more intelligent than the Prophet ﷺ, and they have a better way to understand life than what Islam offers. Okay, so therefore they will never attain their pride or their aspirations in being better than Islam and revelation. So you must seek refuge in Allah from all of these shenanigans of people who wish to debate. At the end of the day, they are stubborn and their pride and arrogance will never allow them to accept the truth because the truth is going to be smaller than their pride. Their pride will be above them as a cloud and their pride will be uh, dominating the way they think and the way they believe and so on. So there is an ethical uh, platform from which Muslims must debate. You cannot assume that if you lose a debate, you have failed. Because there's always going to be a counter-argument to your argument if it's based purely on logic and the rules of rational engagement and so on. So, first and foremost, a person who's going to be giving da'wah at this level, which is the highest level of da'wah, the highest level of da'wah is to engage with the, the nonsensical ideologies of kufr. 
which only a few people qualify for. So you mustn't become the jack of all trades. I'm going to debate with an atheist. No, you're not. Just sit down and shut up. First of all, you don't understand atheism. And number two, you don't understand Islam. So what are you going to debate with? You have nothing to debate with. Just say, Allah, guide this person, my brother, who is at Harvard, and he's in a dorm, and he's been influenced by the atheists of Harvard, which happens all the time, unfortunately, and twice on Sunday. All the time. So don't be shocked if you hear that somebody went to Harvard and was converted to an atheist within a week. It happens. We have people coming here, uh, their mothers and their fathers. Uh, my son went to Harvard this time. Who told you to send, him, send him or her to Harvard in the first place? <laughs> Without aqidah. You can go there, but your aqidah must be correct. Learn your aqidah before you learn kufr. And so on. But anyway, what I'm saying is that the, 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 these, these prescriptions are for the qualified person who understands the rules of uh, debate. And the rules of debate, they come with a prerequisite. And what is that? You understand Islam. You understand Islamic theology. You understand Islamic aqidah. You understand Islamic usul. Without that, you cannot debate with a person. Because you'll be slaughtered to death. You'll be slaughtered, shattered to pieces. And that will be on you. That won't be on Islam, because you didn't follow the rule. What's the rule? If I don't know, then I remain quiet. Don't go after things you know nothing about. So I don't know nothing about how to debate with an atheist, with a Christian, with a Jew, with a Hindu, with a Buddhist. I'm going to be fine. Maybe somebody else can help you, but I can't. The only thing I can do is make dua for you. And you must say that. Make that disclaimer that I'm not qualified to debate with you because that's a better position than you losing any kind of argument that they throw at you. So you must protect yourself first. You must hedge yourself. Make sure that you don't end up an atheist after the debate. So if you don't have insurance, don't do it. What's your insurance? Your insurance is knowledge. And I don't mean knowledge at this level. Knowledge at a very high, sophisticated level where you have rules of engagement, rules of debate, and so on. So the ulama did debate. Abu Hanifa was a great debater. Mara Qasim was a great debater. But they knew Islam inside out. And they knew whom they were debating. Imam Ghazali debated. So you had the great giants of Islam debating. So debate is not something that the Muslim civilization shies away from. But the ordinary Muslim, the layperson, cannot debate because they don't have the tools to debate. It's like you're going into a battle and you not only do you not have any weapons, you don't have a shield either. And you're totally exposed. If you're totally exposed, then you'll be killed. Finish khalas, and that's on you. That's the stupidity is yours. Islam is not in danger, but you're in danger. So we have to be careful how we promote these ayat. And we speak about this. So if somebody is debating with you, you don't go up there and say, oh, all you have is pride in your heart. That's why you don't understand. <laughs> you understand? You can't throw this ayah in their face. That's against the rules of debate. You don't do that. It's much more organized, much more sophisticated. Plus the fact that I just mentioned before, if you're calling person to Islam, that person wants to see humility in you. 
That person wants to see some effect of Islam in you, on you. Oh, I worship Allah. I'm a kind person. I'm a gentle person. This and that. You can only afford to be aggressive if you are qualified to be aggressive. If you're not qualified, don't do it. Just be humble. Just be polite. I can't help you. I'll make it for you. God help you. Whatever. So you mustn't become the jack of all trades that I can do. No, you cannot do it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now asking the Prophet and those who are qualified that if you find yourself in a corner while you're debating, then this ayah must come to your mind that in their hearts there's nothing except pride. And the more stubborn they are, the more unlikely they are to concede to your position. So they won't concede to your position because they simply don't want to believe. The issue is, do they want to believe? If they want to believe, then they will listen. But if they don't want to believe, no matter what you say and how you say it, they will not believe. But you will fulfill the duty of debate because it's a duty. You're there to, what you call, you're there to, to, to promote and to convey. You're not there to convert. That's the line. You're there to convey the message. You're not there to convert the person. That is Allah's fadl. That comes from hidayah and tawfiq from Allah. Your job is to convey the truth and convey the message. That's it. Finish khalas. If you can remove yourself from that temptation of trying to bend over backwards to convince somebody this is the truth, then you're in trouble. You'll be in trouble because if you don't and you fail, then you'll fall flat on your face and you will have no patience and you will start believing Allah. You will start believing Islam. I said so many things to so many people. I was so good. Listen to that. Nobody listened to me. Well, the idea is that if you're going to do the work of Allah and the Rasul, rejection is first. You're rejected before you're accepted. That's what happened to all the prophets. They were rejected. Before they were accepted. So you must be careful uh, how you promote your Islam in front of other people who are non-Muslim. Your Islam must be uh, very simple. Uh, Very simple. I pray five times a day. I I fast. I uh, go for Hajj. I give Zakat. And I do all these good things in my life. That's why I'm Muslim. I hope Allah will reward me with Jannah and Paradise. That's my Islam. Very simple. This is for the non-alim, the non-scholar, the one who is not qualified, which is most of us. For those who are qualified, they have a different standard, which uh, will, is discussed here at Dara Qasim, at the high level of scholastics that we have here. Alhamdulillah, mashallah. So here, فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ Allah is saying to the Prophet, seek refuge in Allah. If you find such people who are so stubborn that they refuse to believe in anything, seek refuge in Allah. Make sure the devil doesn't tempt you to go overboard in your argumentation and in your zeal and in your emotion and you don't have an emotional outburst where the other person says, I told you so. Islam was, if Islam was so good, how come you're, you're distort and you're an emotional mess? <laughs> As unfortunately some people, uh, when they used to go on TV, Muslims, uh, they used to be so emotionally distort by the question of the interviewer uh, they would look very naive and immature. 
They were jumping up and down the seats, literally. Okay, I'm talking about the 80s, 1980s. All right, they jump up and down, and the, and the people in the studio say, oh, "What kind of person is this?" Yeah. Meaning that, that that's the role of the journalist. The journalist wants to incite you, excite you, to make sure that you look like an idiot. And their job was done. Yeah. Again, see, you, you must understand how the game is played. So emotional stability with sabr, pride, composure is necessary on the stage when you're a debater. If you don't have composure on the stage, then people will reject you because you don't have composure. Yeah. You cannot show that uh, level of aggressive behavior when you are debating with people. Uh, you must seek refuge in Allah. Allah is your refuge. The devil will come in because the devil has skibr. He's going to say, uh, make you think things about the person in front of you. You're going to have a lot of names for the person that you're debating with <laughs> in your mind, which you should. That's fine. You can't express them, though. Uh, you can't express those ideas in front of the person. It's okay, well, whatever. Then you'll probably make badwa, you probably curse the person and so on. But no. Allah says, no, fasta'idh billah, seek refuge in Allah. Uh, be calm. Make sure that the devil doesn't come and insinuate in you something that's going to destroy you and destroy the debate and so on. Indeed, he, he is the one who hears. He's hearing what you are saying, and he's hearing what he is saying. He's hearing both of you, and when he is hearing both of you, he knows who is right and who is wrong. An alim is the one who knows. He knows you're right, and he knows the other one is wrong, and you must seek comfort in that. Your job is to convey. Finish. Khalas. Once you have conveyed, then if that person agrees, alhamdulillah, and if that person disagrees, that's the rule. And Muslims who have debated in the past have always applied this rule and they've been very successful. You cannot afford to throw tantrums when you're debating. That is un-Islamic. You can't do that. You have to be very careful. But it's a civilizational value that certain Muslims, albeit a few handful of Muslims that you can count on one hand, not even two hands, one hand, and they will do the job. You mustn't assume you're fit for that until someone tells you you are. And that takes a long time. And that is why this ayah is now an inspiration for the Prophet ﷺ and some of the Sahaba who then engaged with debate with people. Most of the Sahaba were very clear in their understanding of Islam that Islam was pure and pristine and they had Allah's madad through the nur of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and so on. So here Allah Subhanahu brings about an argumentation that is based on a simple observation of the heavens and the earth. Okay, that if you have common sense and you know how to observe reality and the truth, you will make this observation. It's a no-brainer that the creation of the heavens and the earth is much larger than the creation of people. Yeah. Much larger. Allah has created the seven heavens and this, all the earths and all of this. And look at the sky, look at the moon, look at the sun, look at the planets, look beyond. Now, through your Hubble telescope and see how huge that is. 
Mm. And then you look at man and see how insignificant man is. What is the, 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 you know, the ratio of man's mass in front of the mass of Allah's other creation? It is insignificant. Mm. So he's just one speck. Uh, like you have a grain of sand in the desert. One grain doesn't reduce anything in the desert. Likewise, the creation of human beings, even though they may be in billions and trillions, it doesn't matter. It is still incredibly less in volume and in matter than the creation of the heavens and the earth. <coughs> to work on the word akbar, greater, not, in, not significant, insignificant in terms of impact, but definitely in terms of mass, in terms of being uh, bigger in size, and so on, the human being is much, much less. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that, look at this, look where you are placed on this earth, and then according to your science, you are not even insignificant in front of Everything else that exists in the cosmos and in the universe, it is it's just less than a speck. Not even minuscule. Now, you acknowledge this? This is the kind of your physics 101, astronomy 101, and say, why don't you believe then that Allah is a greater creator than you are? So, so anyway, it's a simple observation for the Bedouin Arab who's traveling, who's a nomad, when he goes out into the wilderness at night and he sees the creation of Allah in the sky, then he says, well, subhanAllah, what is this? And who am I? And he sees himself as just a dot in the desert, just as people who go out sailing in the ocean, they see their ship as just a dot uh, on one small wave of the ocean, and they see themselves as totally helpless. Mm. So human beings must also see themselves as totally helpless. Anything can happen at any time. There's no insurance formula or algorithm that tells you the insignificance of man on the planet because there's no way to compute it. You can't measure the insignificance of man. But however, most men don't know and they don't realize how insignificant they are in terms of their creation, in terms of, of their size and volume. And so on, not in terms of their impact. Yeah, this eyes is a simple observation for people who understand how to look at the heavens and the earth and how to look at everything else um, around them and how to look at everything else within them. Uh, anyway, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's guidance is straightforward, it is clear, and this is the meaning of bayinat, that the, these are the evident signs of Allah's. Uh, creation. So now, a simple person will be able to understand this, then the science will come, and he'll throw in his uh, theories and uh, science, and the philosopher will come, and he'll throw in his philosophy, and others will come, skeptics will come, and they'll throw in their skepticism, and then everything is mishmash, and there's no truth left, because people have pride in their hearts, the truth is, people don't want to submit to anyone else's idea if they have a mind of their own. That's where the pride comes in. So Islam's meaning of submission, you submit to the knowledge of the Prophet That's your Islam. Mm. Yeah. If you don't submit to his knowledge, 
then you're not a Muslim, basically. As the next ayah is saying, وَمَا يَسْتَغَدْ عَمَا وَالْبَصِيرُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا عَلَى الْمُسْوَعَمِلِ الصَّالِحَاتِ وَلَى الْمُسِيءِ قَلِيلًا مَا تَتَذَكَّرُونَ That the one who is blind and the one who is seeing, they're not the same. Someone who sees the Prophet as someone who is far more intelligent than him is now seeing and someone who doesn't see that is blind so the blind cannot lead the blind. Anyway, this is how we see Islam and Nur against Kufr and Dhulma, which is darkness. And likewise, those who do good deeds, they're not the same as those who do evil. What al Musi, those who are doers of bad deeds, they're not on the same platform. You cannot equate them. Okay, that uh, arithmetic doesn't flow. It is absurd. Very little is what they take heed to, <coughs> what they accept. So little is what they make part of their dhikr system of remembrance, remembering Allah uh, consciously and intellectually and mentally, that they don't see Allah in front of them, therefore they are not willing to, as I said, submit to anyone else's knowledge and anyone else's intelligence, and definitely not to Allah's power of creation. And so, so again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to the people who want to debate uh, and to represent Islam at this high level, uh, that at the end of the day, you must now thank Allah for the Muslims who are Muslim. <clears throat> not worry too much about converting those who are non-Muslim. You convey and that's it because they will never be the same. Uh, meaning, that they, what, what is this saying to the Prophet Sallallahu So why is this ayah uh, here in the context of jidal and debate? That's the question you must ask. Why is Allah saying that those who see are not the same as those who are blind? I mean, intellectually. Uh, and why is he saying those who do good deeds and believe? They're not the same as those who do bad deeds. Why is this important to someone who is going into debate? Meaning that in your, mashallah, shop of Muslims, you have millions of clients, customers who are already benefiting from your shop. You can't worry about the, the idiotic customer outside who's window shopping. You can't go after that one and sacrifice those millions and billions inside the shop who are already there. You understand what I'm saying? Those who believe and do good deeds, who are they? The Muslims who practice Islam. They cannot be the same as those who do not practice Islam. They're not on the same level. They're outside of the shop. If you're lucky, they're window shopping. They're not even window shopping. They just pass by your shop and they ignore you. So you can't put your emotion and your intellectual resources and your financial resources to bring them in and discard the Muslims who are already in. That's not a game plan. That's a very evil strategy. That means that, you know, as I said, you're not convinced of your Islam in the first place. So if you have Muslims praying five times a day, mashallah, giving zakat and fasting, going for hajj, then you should be happy. Allah's fadl is with the ummah. 
Why are you worried about saying that I want to convert the whole world? Well, why don't you worry about the converts you have with you? <laughs> They're your stock. Right? What about those people who are not Muslims? Well, then that has to be addressed at a different level. Yeah, not at the individual level, which is very simplistic. And it causes many problems and then it solves, unfortunately. But yes, having said that, we are, as Muslims have a duty to represent Islam through our existence and our behavior. That's a different issue. That is not necessarily da'wah. That's just exposing Islam to others, which is very different from da'wah. Da'wah is to call people to Islam, which requires a theory, a strategy, planning and resources and all of that. Representing Islam as a Muslim, being an ambassador of the Prophet in your daily lives, that is exposing Islam to them. That you do anyway, naturally, once you practice Islam and once you talk about Islam with other people in a very general way and not necessarily in the organized, academic, intellectual way. Very little is what they take heed. Uh, meaning that people must then uh, be thankful for Allah's fadl on the ummah. Alhamdulillah, we are still Muslim, and Muslims are still praying, and they're giving zakat, and they're going fasting, and they're going for hajj. This is still Allah's uh, fadl, this is still the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ. What we need to do is galvanize ourselves, bring ourselves together on one platform, organize ourselves, and learn and teach. And that is the way for our preservation, and then our salvation. And then we can promote, once we have other resources, at our disposal. So if you want to create that level of da'wah, uh, you have to then understand the need for institutions like Dawah Qasim because then one in a hundred uh, will be ready. So Dawah Qasim doesn't assume to create a hundred people who are going to give da'wah this level. I'll be happy with one. I'm not saying this out of humbleness, I'm saying because it's the truth. Only one will come out from a hundred. <laughs> that one is enough. Yeah, so we we don't uh, obviously uh, what what's it called? We don't fantasize about this. It's not a fantasy. Oh, create the dais that will go out in the world and spread Islam. Yeah, right. <laughs> it doesn't happen. There's something called life yeah, that you have to understand. When you have life, then you can't do the things that you fantasize about. <laughs> you have to give dawah. You have to leave your family. Okay, how's that going to work? Uh, some of your mothers don't even want you to be here on Sunday mornings. <laughs> right? How are you going to give dawah at that level? Sacrifice your life and your earnings. So don't do it. It's not within your reach. So don't do it. You will not be asked about it if you're not qualified. Yes, you do have organization institutions that is going to produce scholars who will do a number of tasks. Some will do hadith, some will do Quran, some will, some will do fiqh, some will do aqidah, theology, some will do uh, you know, reform and dhikr, and some will do iftah. Uh, maybe one person will do this debate. One person. That's enough. Then you fulfilled your responsibility of fardi kifaya. You cannot make fardi kifaya fardi ayn, and that's the problem with the Salafi model. Everything's fardi ayn. All of a sudden, uh, jump onto the same bandwagon. I have a mission. I have a message. And all Muslims, if I give the khutbah here, they must jump onto my bandwagon and give up everything because I said so. It doesn't work that way. That's not the way the ummah 
has run, is organized, is systemic, and uh, you have that, what do you call it? Uh, you, know, you appoint people to do different tasks and you delegate people to do different things. So that only happens if you organize. If you're not organized, you can't have everybody going on to, you, you know, um, you know, Jehovah's Witness type and giving Dharma. You can, you'd probably be killed. <laughs> In Trump's America, you'd be shot. Yeah, be my guest at your own risk. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so you have to take care, take care of your safety first and make sure you're cautious about this. Exposing who you are is in itself a great stress. It is not easy for our women to cover their heads in public. It is a great sacrifice. You must acknowledge as men the sacrifice they go through by covering themselves because they are seen as total misfits. And men simply don't appreciate that sacrifice that the women are making. It's a piece of cake. It's not a piece of cake. You try it. Look at it. You only have masses. You all wear in niqab. See how difficult it is. Right? See how difficult it is? That's what they feel every day. Every time they leave the house, they feel that. And you must appreciate that. And tell your women and tell every, all the men in the world that you know, if you see a woman wearing a scarf, say, Alhamdulillah. Allah's name. Allah's fadl. It's a testimony to their faith. Likewise, when you go to work and you pray, it's a stress. It's not easy. That's exposing Islam. Okay. So exposing Islam requires energy, requires resilience, requires determination, requires guts. That's more than enough for you. Say, I want to give down. <laughs> You'll be dead, brother. The weight of that, it'll kill you. You can't carry that weight because you don't have the knowledge upon which to carry it. The weight of Nabuwa is only carried by knowledge. If you don't have knowledge, you won't be able to carry the weight of Nabuwa because you're not fit for it. You'll die. You'll be sick all the time. So what I'm saying to you is not because I don't want you. It's because I'm having uh, rahmah upon you. <laughs> right? Don't do it. Meaning it's not your job. It's not your responsibility. Allah has not made it fard on you. It is fard ikifai. It is fard on one person in the community. That's it. Finish, khalas. And I'm talking about the whole of Chicago land. I'm not talking about Glendale Heights. Uh, perhaps even America. You can go as far as that. It's a national thing that you must have people who do this debate issue is something that only prophets did. And only a few select sahaba did. And only a few select ulama in the ummah did. So you can't be as, as, as more intellectual than you think you are. Uh, you have to calm down. So, okay. If I do my slot five times a day and I wake up for Fajr every day for the whole year, Alhamdulillah, I'm in paradise. This requires tremendous piety. Then you have to be honest. You have to be sincere. Then you can't think haram. You can't talk haram. You can't eat haram. You can't be in haram. That's what this requires. And if you do that, then you're not qualified. And you must not assume you're qualified because that's hypocrisy. Well, you're just fantasizing. So the, the, the idea that somehow all Muslims must jump on the bandwagon and give da'wah. What are you giving da'wah to? 
The non-Muslim just look at you, look at your houses, look at the people. You're frustrated, you're angry, you're this, you're that, you're that. There's nothing there that will appeal to a non-Muslim that invites them, invite, meaning that, that welcomes them into another way of life. So until you get that right, you should be careful how you go about doing your business of da'wah. Exposing Islam as individuals, yes. That we do, as I said, normally, casually, as we exist. We pray five times a day. We talk about hajj. We talk about fasting in Ramadan. We tell people we don't drink. That is exposing Islam, which is required for every Muslim because they have to practice Islam. The practicing of Islamic rituals is exposing Islam. That is more than enough da'wah for every person in the, the ummah except a few select individuals who are qualified to understand and, and then appreciate the role of debate, uh, inshallah. Anyway, we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to understand the Qur'an the way the Prophet sallallahu and the Sahaba did. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to do what it takes, inshallah, to procure his uh, salvation and also to procure his pleasure in this world and also in the world hereafter. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen, sallallahu ta'ala ala khayla khalqi Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabihi ajma'in. يا رحمتك يا رحم الرحمين الحمد لله